This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I have no idea when Dev starts on this. Oh, me neither. Is it now? It can't be now. There's no way. Wait, it's coming up. Okay, hold on. Okay. Places. Places. The history of film. That better who you when the lights go dim. From James Cagney to Nosferatu and stunts that shock you. And dirty, dirty tricks to your made. From wings to Top Gun, movie stars and no ones. Romantic crazy fans that leave no real a ton. Hollywood is built from history in Hollywood. They chase the Oscar, but it's all a sham, just like Shaq and Kazam. All your dreams can come true. History, the history of film, all of it made for you. Good God, that was terrible. Happy New Year, everybody. We're steaming full speed into 2022 right now, boys. Uh, I wanted to start off. Rest in peace, fucking Betty White, man. Yeah. Dude. She, uh, whatever's happening in 2022, she wanted no part of. She did not want it. My favorite joke online has been uh, she looked at the box of a Lego set and she was like, I will not live old enough to not play this anymore. Because <laughs> the Lego box is, say, $4.99. Oh, and she was that's like, right, She was like, right. you know what? I don't want to live in a world without Legos. Yeah. I'm out. I always thought about that too. Lego was definitely invented in a time where the uh, age expectancy was lower. You know? You're gonna die before you just play say with four this. and up. Yeah. I don't. What is, yeah. what is this? What is this range? Yeah, man. Like a uh, uh, octogenarian can't play with Lego. You know. But uh, dude, she was. I, I I was just like looking into her because I do want to do an episode about her one day. But she graduated Beverly Hills High School in 1939. Holy shit! She was like CAG days. Yeah. Like, wow. CAG was on. The, the big screen when she was in high school. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's also, insane. Yeah. I, ironically, the days of the Rat Pack. Yeah, ah. absolutely. Betty White definitely hung out with the Rat Pack, for sure. And the reason we're talking about the Rat Pack, everyone, is we are doing a two-parter on this thing, but this is going to be about Ocean's Eleven, the 1960 version. And the Rat Pack. I'll be honest, I didn't know there was a 1960 version. I thought <laughs> this movie was invented for Brad Pitt. Yep, nope. <laughs> this was originally a Rat Pack vehicle. This was a whole Rat Pack thing, man. But before we get into that, also, rest in peace, Sidney Poitier as well. He died as well, man. I know, Drake doesn't... Drake, uh, like, uh, these uh, are words. Sidney <laughs> Poitier was the first black actor to win an Oscar. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. He won uh, 1958. He did The Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis. Wow. And they played convicts. They were a black guy and a white guy, and they had to deal with, like, you know, being a different race. Wait, what about um, <laughs> Gone with the Wind? No, she didn't win. Oh, yeah, she, was she was nominated? Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, he was the first one to actually win. Wow. And some of you may remember him better from 1967 film Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, uh, where he plays this doctor who goes home with a white woman to her family, mm. and uh, they have to also deal with you know being different races. He did a lot of movies where he had to deal with 
being different races? <laughs> uh, necessary work, but, uh, you know, yeah. um, I'm sure he would have... I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I'm sure he would have loved to just do a movie that wasn't about race, and I'm sure he did. he did. But also, it's like, that is the important work to be the, break, yeah. to be the breakout person to be like, I'm going to normalize For this sure, and, and, and bring up conversations that a lot of you still don't want to have. I know, and we're so. going to get into, like, the time... Like, dude, when Ocean's Eleven came out in 1960, we're going to get into just how fucking racist things were. Really oh, wow. It's insane, man. But yeah, rest in peace, Sydney Poitier. Uh, by the way, guess who's coming to dinner? The She was 23 years old, and he was 37 in the movie. And everybody's like, ah, he's black. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> there was no problem with her being a college student. And he was a almost 40-year-old widower. Oh, that was part of the plot? Yeah. And no one brought that up no, as a point No, no one ever brought that up. It was That's just funny. that they were white and black, Was it written know? that way to further highlight the absurdity of what their actual problem maybe, was? Maybe. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, that could have been it. It was a very smart movie. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I've actually never seen it. I just, yeah. it's, it's, it's on the list of stuff I know I need to watch. Watch, but yeah. just haven't been in the mood for. It was cool. He played like a rich doctor, and her parents were still like, "But he's black." You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's one of those, but it's amazing. Okay, cool. But um, yeah. So he like was, I said, uh, today we're gonna be. He was knighted by Queen Elizabeth, by the way. Jesus. Oh wow. Oh my god. So and he was uh, the Bahamian ambassador to Japan. So he was, his family was from the Bahamas. Whoa. But he just luckily was born in Miami on a vacation trip one day. So he dedicated his life to not only acting, but a lot of uh, you know, oh, international diplomacy, civil rights, and you know, getting the Bahamas out of being a British crown colony. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. I'm, cool. I'm going to do an episode on him within the next few episodes, actually. Uh, there's some... Yeah, dude. He was way... He was like a radical dude. He and uh, cool. Harry Belafonte in the mm-hmm. 60s went down to Alabama to give money to, like, a uh, black cause, and they got in a high-speed chase with the police and shit. Oh, wow. nuts, man. Holy he shit. was, like, really out there. Fascinating. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that guy. It's insane. Back again with our namesake. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to last week's episode. Yeah. It was a little bit different. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And uh, if you want more of that, uh, it'll be coming to uh, Patreon near you very soon. Yeah, definitely. We're going to keep doing that for Patreon. It was a lot of fun to do. Um, I really like it. Yeah, Good. I was listening to it. It was like, like I said, it was like film history, but like set in in the future in the computer. Yeah, <laughs> it was change, awesome. Change up some of the sound effects to make it more computer. Yeah. So, but today we're gonna be talking about dudes who did not know video games existed <laughs> uh, or never would have for sure. They would have been way too drunk to be playing any sort of video games. Uh, I'm gonna tell you the tale. Of the filming of Ocean's Eleven in 1960, and how the Rat Pack basically used the filming of a big Warner Brothers movie to go insane on the Vegas Strip for like weeks. Oh, this interesting. The, the filming of this movie, the writing this episode, like made my liver hurt. Like, wow. And dude, every single Rat Pack member either died of liver disease or lung cancer <laughs> like all of these guys and i probably just from filming this movie alone like insane <laughs> yeah and yeah drake like you said like don't get me wrong i love 2001's oceans 11 i've probably seen that movie i've seen that movie way too many times to even justify how many times i've seen that okay. movie it's just like a comfort movie for me mm-hmm. i love those i love brad pitt george clooney the the cast of the new one was George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, Don Cheadle. I mean, you guys have all seen it. You know, 2001's Ocean's Eleven. But uh, I will say, Ocean's Eleven, the original one with the Rat Pack, 
really good. Way different. It's like apples and oranges. Really? Like, yeah. I would say it's way. It's different enough. Okay. For sure. So is it still a heist movie? It is. It's, okay. It's cool. like the blueprint for heist movies ever okay, since it came cool. out. Yeah. Um, they were the first ones to do like the crew. You got like the okay. I mean, oh. they might not have been the first ones, but they it were the like, most popular. Heist okay, movie. cool. Yeah. yeah, which is like a staple in heist films now. Yeah. It's like you know the crew. Yeah, you know, like uh, something that the Rick and Morty parodied it. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Which I love it. I'm a sucker for getting the crew together. I'm a Dude, sucker for like a party it. that everyone's like super specialized and definitely. Uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. It will never get old. It's it's a trope that will never get old. The for one me. problem with a big crew for me is there's just too many people. Too many loose ends, man. I would kill everyone at the end. Like, if I did a heist with, like, ten people in my crew, everyone's dying at the end with me, you know? Because that's just too many people. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a good a, twist. I'm a sucker for dolls and dames. For, <laughs> for cigars. Exactly. I can't have you at the, the pool. The of the Sahara. I can't have you at the billiards hall spilling all our secrets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gotta get the funny. dice game over at Johnny's place. Dude, that's one reason why I'm so excited to talk about this today. It is so fucking rat packy, man. I'm talking Frank Sinatra, of course, old blue eyes. We got Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, Joey Bishop. Just the fucking rat pack. And Drake, I'm really glad you you texted me and asked, like, can you get into a little bit about the Rat Pack? Mm-hmm. Because you don't know much about them. You yeah, know no, I, I basically, like, I know the names, and I know a little bit about Frank Sinatra, but I um, uh, don't really know much about that group. Um, I'm assuming uh, that it's just, like, there were a bunch of friends that hung out, and the, the media kind of labeled in the Rat Pack, but also, were they a band together? And yeah. also, did they all start acting at the same time? Did was it like their agent that reached out? Was like, hey, you could make even more yeah, money if you were acting. Is it something? <laughs> is it something Frank Sinatra always wanted to do? Did he act before he was a singer? Like, well, I don't actually know These much are about all yeah, amazing the Gambino Quan family, or was it? One of the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Which crime family? The Giancanas, the Gambinos, Bugsy Siegel. We'll get into all of that today. And those are those are the questions that we're going to answer on this episode today. I'm going to tell you about the Rat Pack, and then I'm going to tell you about Ocean's Eleven. First, I do want to say the first iteration of Ocean's Eleven, one of the things that's so much different about it that I really love is the first one in 1960 was him getting his platoon from World War II to get back together 15 years after the war to do a heist. Oh, so cool. Yeah, each okay. one of these guys was like a specialist. Like, exactly. The demolition oh, guy. what a great way to set that up. Exactly. Yeah. They were a, the, a the driver, the what, you know, all of those. Yeah. Guys. You got it. You got it. Exactly, man. They were a uh, 82nd Airborne. just couldn't sing the song the way everyone else did. He had to, you know. <laughs> He had to call it EO11 for some strange reason. Oh, they did like a theme song? Yeah, they did a lot of music in this one. Oh, cool. So, Drake, the Rat Pack were individual singers, a group, each one of them, that then were uh, performed so much in the casinos of Vegas and around America and the world that they would usually be on like the same concert bill. And then they formed this group because they were all friends called the Rat Pack. And yeah. then, like, the 
four or five of them. I mean, it's definitely four, but there's arguably some others that would like tag. It was along five, but like two of them, three of them are really famous, and two mm-hmm. of them were kind of like a lot of people forget that Joey Bishop and uh, Peter Lawford were even in the Rat Pack. Well, Peter Lawford was kind of famous. People forget Joey Bishop a lot, but yeah, yeah, for sure. I yeah. haven't heard of either of those people. Yeah, so. that's. I'm going to tell you all about them today. Cool. I'm really going to get deep into it. I thought about doing a whole separate episode on the Rat Pack, but like. We're here, yeah. I'll t- and there probably will be more information about the Rat Pack to come. They're mm-hmm. a very deep history. Cool. But today, I'm going to tell you a little bit just about who they all were. Cool. And yeah. uh, how this movie came to be. Deep history. Yeah. The history of deep. Dude, the history <laughs> of deep, man. And yeah, this is a one of the great reasons to do this is because the heist in the movie takes place on New Year's Eve. Oh, cool. Uh, we are a little bit late, but. This is one of the movies... You, you found it. You found a New Year's Eve movie. <laughs> I found a New Year's Eve movie. You could start this movie at a certain time of night, I don't know when, mm. and celebrate the New Year's with the rap. Oh, that's you know? fun. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, this is one of those. They have a big mm. like countdown and everything in the movie. I'm going to uh, just but, pretend I'm back at New Year's while I'm yeah. having a smoke... Drinking some non-alcoholic whiskey over here. Boom. Happy New Year. 2022, everyone. Before Corona. (laughs) One of the reasons to watch this is Vegas was such a tiny little small town at the time. Like, it was a really... Vegas was a weird thing at this time. You know, I mean, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas showed it really well in the late 60s. But the early 60s, it really was just like this little probably three block strip of casinos that were like wood grain and old lot old slot machines and mob run you know it was it was that spot in the middle of nowhere that the mafia interesting so it's kind of like um it was like a a crime version of a small town like everyone knew each other and stuff and like if you were there you're there and like the you know, we know what happens it. in this town. Yeah, the mob built yeah. it. The mob ran it. In 1960, it was a mafia town. When was like, it? When was it founded? When when did uh, when did Al Capone shit. sail across the ocean that blue and Bugsy plant his flag? <laughs> I don't know if he was involved in this. I don't know if he was the same. Bugsy era, but. Siegel. It was like the 40s and 50s that he really got it going. But honestly, even by now, by 1960, the Rat Pack made Vegas what it is. Oh, like the Rat okay. Pack really brought people to Vegas. You know, okay. like it, it was. Basically, just kind of like, a, like I said, it was just like a like cheap oh, finally something town. besides crime to do here. Yeah, they, exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they invented the term residency for Vegas yeah, residents. Yeah, for sure. Because and this was they, yeah, the concept of performing at some place so regularly. They just lived at the hotel. Right, mm. right. And that's one of the reasons why in the movie they get uh, it's the 82nd Airborne guys because they said any criminals that could pull off this heist can't get anywhere near the strip because everybody will know immediately. Mm. So, like, you can't even, you know, and that's one of the things where it differs. By 2001, mm. the new Ocean's Eleven, it is this Disney behemoth mm. of a town already. Right, you know? yeah, and, yeah. Like, they're hitting the Bellagio and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, this was the five tiny casinos that were there at the time not tiny for the time but nowadays, right yeah now, be, now you think of it i mean yeah you you walk down old vegas and it like definitely feels like a different town yeah yeah um, man 
And they're just going to keep moving down the strip. The strip will move. I bet the strip will be like 10 miles down the road in 100 years. Yeah. Because like they just keep building a new yeah. part of it and yeah. closing down the old one, basically. Right, yeah. The, the What we know is the strip now will be old Vegas yeah. at some point. And then yeah. Yeah. old, old Vegas will you know be like a museum by, yeah. uh, <laughs> by that New time. York, New York. I mean, well, that's that's uh, the nice part about being in the middle of the desert is you got a lot of room to expand. Yeah, for sure. You can just keep going for a while before you hit something. Yeah, so. <laughs> Did you ever hear about that guy who had a, uh, he had like an old arrow, arrow star trailer on the Vegas Strip whenever they were building it? And he bought the land. He bought his plot of land for like $200 or something back in the 50s. And they got, they paid him millions. Wow. Land so they could build some casino there. Wow. No, it's crazy. I haven't heard Vegas about that. But it does not place. surprise me. I mean, that's the thing. Like, just having location in the right place you know who yeah. knows what the value of that's gonna be yeah for sure so grab a martini sweetheart come sit in papa's lap <laughs> while we bring you this episode of film history, film history. The, the history of film <laughs> i fucked that up <laughs> a lot of a uh, so lot of butt slapping in this movie <laughs> of women who probably didn't expect it you know uh, how much face slapping do we have no, no face slapping okay. no violence towards women in this yeah. movie which <laughs> Sexual assault or regular assault? Which one do you want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little bit of both usually. But uh, no, this one was a little bit. There, there was a, there was a Frank part where he slapped a girl in the ass, and she looked like she genuinely didn't expect it. Oh you know? wow! Well. Yeah, but that he's ex- Frank. The extra was not warned that she was a stunt double that day. <laughs> when are we? <laughs> when are we? When are we? You can do it. Okay, cool. I'm used to it now. <laughs> All right. All right, since it's 1960, you know, I got to break out my Hunter S. Thompson voice. Right. 1960 was a leap year. Seems like a lifetime, or at least a main era. The kind of peak that never comes again. Russia, Cuba, Nam, Elvis. The new decade that some sort of weird, ugly beast spawned from the remnants of the hot rod 50s. You can buy two gallons of milk, four gallons of gas, or a six-pack of beer, all for under one dollar. The... Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Well, I just yeah. recoil. Was cheap I was times. Like, what the hell? Cheap times. Not not all of those at once, but either you could two gallons of milk or four gallons of gas or a six pack of beer. They were all under a dollar. Wow. The boys who fought the big one are now in their thirties and forties. They spent the last ten years decompressing from the war with rock and roll, hair grease, driving fast cars, and listening to Elvis. I myself, Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> I'm in San Juan, Puerto Rico, on a job with the sporting magazine El Sportivo. He worked for a magazine called El Sportivo. Yes. yes. <laughs> the year of the Coalbrook mining disaster, 435 coal miners in South Africa had no idea they were working in their grave when the mine collapsed. The NFL announces expansion in Dallas, Texas. There'll be a team known as the Cowboys. The Greensboro Four stage a sit-in at the segregated Woolworths counter, triggering nonviolent protests through the South, giving racist America quite a Donnybrook, and America's own Elvis Presley returns to America after serving two years in Germany showing a brave face for the U.S. military and donning the uniform for photographers. <laughs> yeah, this is when the World War IV happened. It's just crazy, man. Okay, a little bit more. The World War IV? <laughs> this is the year of the first televised presidential debate, leading to a victory in our new president, John F. Kennedy. U.S. enters the Vietnam War. The IRA starts his fight against the British. Chubby Checker has all the kids doing the twist on American Bandstand, and aluminum cans are used for the first time. The biggest song of the year is Percy Faith's theme from A Summer Place. That was also the year Hitchcock's Psycho hit theaters and To Kill a Mockingbird hit the bookshelves. 
So that's 1960. Wow. That's where we are right now. Yeah, I love the section. I yeah, love... man. It really puts yeah. you in, puts it in perspective. Yeah. Aluminum cans used for the Aluminum first time? Aluminum cans What did they use the before first... that? Lead cans? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely <laughs> just fucking uranium cans. <laughs> <laughs> it's a composite of lead and uranium. Yeah, there was... And there's lead in the air, too. By the way, oh, the, the gasoline, yeah, 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 the old leaded gasoline. Yeah, you know, these were the lead times. <laughs> <laughs> that certainly isn't all that was happening in 1960. The Rat Pack actually began in the 1950s okay. at the house of Bogey and Bacall, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. One of the biggest couples to have ever lived. Also, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record. We will be doing an episode on them soon. I've got a whole series planned for that. But these were the biggest movie stars. Humphrey Bogart was like the biggest movie star in the world, you know. Mm. Um, and by the 50s, he had sort of started to cool down, but he was still Humphrey Bogart. He was still okay. bogey, yeah. you know. The man, the myth, the legend, Bogart, Humphrey Bogart, he's returning from Vegas one day with a few of his very famous friends, and they all get to the house, super drunk, and Laura McCall is at the door. And she says, you look like a goddamn rat pack. <laughs> and that shit just stuck. They thought wow. it was hilarious. They started calling themselves the rat pack. And uh, <laughs> she, she was like, you look like a rat pack. That's how she, she would smoke like 10 packs of cigarettes a day on purpose because she wanted this like raspy voice, Laura McCall. She was so fucking cool, man. Uh, I think she like she has like a pack of cigarettes in her grave or something. I imagine that didn't age well. It sounded sexy when she was younger, and then like she had a certain age, and it was like you <laughs> sound know, you sound like uh, a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She got some good feedback one day though. So people are like, I like her voice, and she's like, Oh, do you? <laughs> oh, do you? So, uh, so now the original Rat Pack was huge. It was a shit ton of people. It was like the original 1950s Humphrey Bogart led Rat Pack was like this huge corner of Hollywood. And they lived, Bogey and Bacall's house was in Holmby Hills, in the hills of Hollywood, mm -hmm. and they called them the Holmby Hills Rat Pack. That was what okay. they were known as. And this was... So Humphrey Bogart was part of it? He was the leader of it okay. in the beginning. He was, it was his Rat Pack in I the beginning. See. And this was, Frank Sinatra was in it. He was mm -hmm. like second in command, basically. Mm -hmm. But you had Judy Garland... Judy's third husband, Sid Luff, legendary agent Swifty Lazar, who was this huge agent in Hollywood at the time. He was part of the Rat Pack. Uh, David Niven, Dev, you talked about him on one of the episodes just recently, that British actor. The, yeah. Yeah. He was, in the, he was in the original Rat Pack. Uh, you had Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, George Cukor, Cary Grant, Rex Harrison, Jim Van Heusen. It was just like this... It, it was all, it was probably like 20 huge A list celebrities who hung out at Bogey and Bacall's house, and they were the Rat Pack. And they oh, fucking drank and partied wow. and orgies, probably. I didn't probably. realize the club was so big. Yeah, it used to be. That was like Humphrey Bogart's iteration mm -hmm. was. And so at this at this stage, um, Frank, Nostra, Frank Sinatra is like an up and coming singer. Yeah, like how? He, at this point in the 50s, he's actually like a washed out singer. Oh. Uh, by 1952, Frank Sinatra didn't even have an agent anymore. Like, oh, he didn't wow. even know if he was going to get a fucking gig anymore. But he was still like to Bogey in them. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a fucking legend. He was Frank okay. Sinatra. You know, I mean, Bogey was working in the 30s and 40s, and Frank Sinatra in the 40s was the fucking Beatles. You mm. know, like that guy. He, they even had a thing where Frank Sinatra said in 1952, 
just years ago in Manhattan, th- there was traffic was stopped in Manhattan because he was at a restaurant. One oh, day. wow. And now he could walk down the street and some people wouldn't even know who the hell he was. Wow. You know? What what, yeah. what happened? Did he just get, uh, like, he partied too hard to be insurable and he missed too many shows Basically, and stuff like that? Yeah. And he was, yeah, he was a real, he was a pain in the ass to work with. And, um, you know, I mean, he just wasn't like young, handsome Frankie Blue Eyes anymore. Right. He basically just like kind of got, you know, bloated and drunk. And mm. I mean, he was he was an alcoholic throughout forever. Mm. Like he died <laughs> still being an alcoholic, you know. And uh, oh, yeah, man. A lot of those guys just kind of like fucked themselves right out of a career. He invented liver cirrhosis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, dude, bogeys. Rat Pack had like ranks. Like roles, people wow. were they had like a coat of arms. Holy shit! Like it was, it it's was, like a le- gang. it was a gang, man. It was like the Scientology. It was like Scientology before Scientology. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, the, the modern famous dude clubs aren't that like they're not organized. They're not organizations, right? They're no, just, like group I mean, of friends who hang out. Some of them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Some, Dev, right? No, I'm just <laughs> some of them. And they just drank and did cocaine together. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're basically drinking Coke clubs these days and orgy clubs. Yeah, but uh, I mean, like, are these guys fucking paying membership dues at this point? Like, this sounds like this is a whole. They're having legit meetings, like, (laughs) to go over how they're going to run Hollywood, you know? But that's one of the reasons why Frank started to come back, was basically he was, like, part of this new, like, Illuminati type of thing, you know? Like, Humphrey Bogart was, like, fucking, (laughs) I'm going to get shot doing this episode. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> in 1957, we laid rest the man, the myth, the fucking legend, Humphrey Bogart. He died of, uh, you know, being being Humphrey Bogart. Um, <laughs> and Frank Sinatra took over the Rat Pack when he died, but it also kind of dissolved. Mm-hmm. Like it, it stopped being a 20 person club. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So how old was Humphrey when he died? Humphrey, he was he was literally he was like fifty seven years old. Oh wow, he was that's, very young. That's pretty young. Yeah, yeah he died okay. young. Like Lauren Bacall lived for like forty years after him or something. Oh, okay. Well, that, I can't wait to do that episode, man. Okay, it's, cool. It's very interesting, and Cag's gonna be in there too. Ooh. You know, Bogey and Cag were together a lot. Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Was um at this time, I guess Cag was like retired and stuff, right? Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. he, he was he, he I'm not completely retired, but he wouldn't be out. I mean, no. he was never a partier anyway, so he wouldn't have really hung out with these guys nah. like consistently like. That. I'm sure that Cag knew Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. but I bet they didn't hang. Yeah, you know? okay. Yeah, Cag wasn't a drinker. <laughs> they man. don't have a whole lot to talk about. No, no. <laughs> He's like, I used to play mob movies, and you're actually in the mob, you know? Uh, <laughs> so this is when Frank Sinatra added some of his good friends that I'm going to tell you about here. You got Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, and Joey Bishop. And that's what made up the new Rat Pack. Frank Sinatra, I'll give you a little rundown here, but for time's sake, I mean, I'm going to keep it at an, an abridged. I'm going to do a whole episode on Frank Sinatra one day, and we could sit here for hours and talk about him. And yeah, Dev, you said you're a Frankie fan as well, man. You're a fan of the old blue eyes. Yeah, man. I mean, <clears throat> his his voice, the, the resonance of it was uh, widely known in like the singing community. It had like, it created like a sound. Like people would say, oh, yeah. that's a Sinatra sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, they've been doing Sinatra ever since Sinatra, and he was. They had like Michael <laughs> Michael Bublé is just trying to rip off Sinatra. Let's be honest, right? I but mean, uh, so have so many others. You yeah, know? exactly. And it's also like the style, the way he rolls those notes and drags one over to the other, and it's very 
loungy without being, mm. uh, you know, I don't know, a, a, a hokey loungy kind of thing. Yeah. Is there a single human being on the planet that listens to Michael Bublé for any other reason than his Christmas album? Because I, I only listen to his Christmas album, and I am not aware of any other music he's ever made. I did when I was like 19 years old, but I was also obsessed with Frank Sinatra, you know, and I think I was me just too. like, I yeah. Love Frank. Yeah, Frank me too, man. Back the standards. That's Definitely. why those guys never before those those songs that they would sing would only be instrumental compositions. Right. And they brought them and like added a bunch of words to these like classics that people are used to hearing. And, you know. Yeah, he would get together with Count Basie. You know, they did that whole album together. That was amazing. Um, yeah, he would get together with like legendary jazz guys. I highly recommend there's a documentary on Amazon called uh, The Ocean's Eleven Story is what it's called. And it it basically I got a lot of content from them, mm -hmm. but it kind of gives you, you know, imagery to what we're talking about here today. That was where I learned a lot about like his downfall as well, Frank. But in 1953, that all changed. He was hanging out with the Rat Pack at the time. And uh, so basically Columbia Pictures was making a film adaptation of James Jones's Pearl Harbor book, From Here to Eternity. And Frank went on this huge campaign to play the role of Sergeant Maggio. That okay. Was, and, uh, had, had he acted before? He had acted in a few things okay. here and there, but not really. This was like okay. his first big like role. Okay. You know? And he got the role? He got the role. So he... <laughs> He walked into the sound stages too, like number five on the call sheet type of shit, you know. But it was an amazing role in this fucking epic as hell war film about Pearl Harbor. And uh, remember how we said Pearl Harbor these days is like the porn version of, you know, a national tragedy, you know? Mm -hmm. it, yeah. it was then too. Yeah. yeah. They, they, from here to eternity was the same kind of shit. It was mm -hmm. like a love story surrounded by bombs and death, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, real yeah, high yeah. stuff. So it's Wings. So everyone's just been doing Wings since everyone's Wings. Everyone's been doing Wings. Everyone's been doing Frank since Frank. Everyone's been doing Cag since Cag, you know? And, but this is where it gets a little interesting because this is where Frank won the Oscar for this movie. Oh. He won for, an Oscar. Was this lead actor or supporting actor? It was supporting actor for okay. Sergeant Maggio. And I won't get too heavy into it here. It's a whole story that I need to get into. But this is basically where people say the mafia got him this Oscar. Interesting. Yeah. This is like what they based that Godfather part on with the horse in the producer's bed, the oh, studio yeah. head's bed. That was yeah, like yeah. the whole story was based on Frank. Did he actually have a good performance? Like, oh, it was is great. there merit to the Oscar yeah. win? Okay. Yeah, he did amazing. One thing about Frank is he really was a good actor. I, okay. I'll give him that. You know, even in Ocean's Eleven, I'd mm -hmm. say he did pretty good. Yeah. And even, <laughs> especially. Considering the circumstances that I'm going to lay out for you, how they were filming that thing, it's impressive that any of them were good at their job at all. But <laughs> when did he start getting involved with the mob? Was around now. Oh, they okay. think around the 40s and 50s. They also think that he might have been involved with the mob since he was a kid. Okay, um, but also, you know, that was a whole thing that he denied until the end. Mm -hmm. But also, he was he was just clear he was hanging out with mobsters, mm -hmm. you know, all the time. Yeah. So it was. It was and then he was getting Oscars for stuff, and he was getting roles for stuff that other people were up for that were actually, like, big actors, you know? Yeah. It was some stuff. I, there now, was some shit going on. He got really heavy involved with the mob with Vegas, mm. you know, whenever he started performing his shit in Vegas. And Vegas, like I said, at this time was just, like, a nest for the mob. Yeah. Know? And if he's, like, the big performer there, he's, you know, I think he was getting stuff done with them while 
creating his whole Vegas career. Yeah. I mean, did they provide something to him that he needed, or were he Allegedly. just friends with them? Allegedly, they would yeah. get him stuff. They would okay. get him into doors that he mm-hmm. could he didn't have access to. Interesting. You know? I, yeah. that's, it's crazy that he's a big star, and the mob still has doors that he can't get oh, into. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but I I, I was I was I saw this one conversation a couple years back. I think it was around when the 6 9 thing was happening and stuff, and you know, the people were talking about like gang affiliation of rappers and stuff like that. And someone brought out there like it's not, it's it's synonymous with rap now, but high profile musicians and uh, like criminal activity have always been oh, tied sure. together. And I think it's just one of those things of like people in the mob or gangs or whatever it is, they like hanging out with celebrities because yeah. it's like that's cool for them. Yeah. And then the celebrity likes the benefits that they can get from these people without actually being involved in the crime themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, or maybe a little bit involved, you know what I mean? But it's like, there's enough of a separation where it's like, it's kind of a mutually beneficial relationship that both of them think is cool. Yeah, and um, we're going to get a lot into the mafia in this mm-hmm. one. The, the mob was involved in all of this along the way. There were mobsters as cameos in Ocean's Eleven. Whoa. There were actual mafia guys playing roles in Ocean's Eleven. Frank Sinatra was still like, I don't got nothing to do with him. You know? <laughs> That's funny. Um, and then, of course, there was old Dean Martin, old Dino. Uh, Dean had come up as a crooner during the Bing Crosby days. Uh, he had built up a career doing, like, basically, he was doing every town's big nightclub. You know, he wasn't, like, a huge name, but he would go through towns and he would do their, uh, the whiskey-a-go-go of their town. You know, he was okay. kind of one of those. Okay. Yeah, he was always on the fucking road type of guy when he was young. But he could never quite shake getting compared to Bing Crosby and even Frank Sinatra at the time. Even back then, people were saying, like, you're just trying to be Frank. So... He is the one who started to sort of adopt comedy into his act as well. He's the guy who would like, he would sing some songs, but he would make jokes. He was hilarious. Oh, Dean okay. Martin was always fucking hilarious. And okay. He would lay some comedy on you that you didn't even expect. He cool. would sing some line in a song that you were like, wait, what the fuck did he just say? You know, like something okay, about like cool. fucking your mom, like type of shit, you know? Okay. And yeah, and he also, he did this act. And he never admitted it, but a lot of people kind of like sources close to him say he based this act off of Frank Sinatra because Frank was so known to just be hammered all the time. (laughs) So Dean came up with his like, you ever see, you know, his like drunk thing Mm -hmm. that he does all the time. Yeah. He basically was like roasting Frank Sinatra while he was doing that whole thing. That's funny. Because Frank Sinatra was never funny on purpose. Exactly. No, no. Frank played it straight. Like before the Rat Pack, Frank was just a straight up nightclub singer. Yeah. He might say something like charming between songs. You know, if it weren't for these olives in my martini, I would (laughs) starve to death. You know, he'd say shit like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Dean had like a whole thing. Yeah. Like you were laughing during his whole set. It was like a a comedy set as well. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, me too, man. And he, you know, like Dev was talking about, I highly recommend going to watch any of his old roasts that he used to do with like Don Rickle and all of them. Hilarious stuff. But uh, yeah, but he actually was never drinking. It's it's kind of disappointing to some people to know, but Dean actually wasn't drinking on stage. He was just yeah, pretending but Frank to drink. Was. That's, yeah, that's Frank like the, was really that's funny. The, the, the most hilarious thing is to watch old footage of Dean stumbling on stage and falling on his ass, and Frank there with a drink in his hand, laughing his ass off, and Frank <laughs> being really drunk, like actually drunk, yes. and stumbling himself. 
<laughs> yeah. Like, so you even see, when they performed together, one person making fun right. of the other right in front of them, and everybody's laughing. It's, it's <laughs> pretty great. And, and Frank's too now, drunk to notice. Yeah. And don't get me no, wrong. No, he notices. He's laughing. Oh, he's you know, yeah. like, oh my God. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. That's hilarious. Uh, that's and how don't I get, am. <laughs> don't get me wrong. The moment they stepped off stage, Dean would go have a drink, but yeah. he didn't drink on stage. Interesting. And Frank was doing it on. Professional. Yeah. Like, Frank was doing it on television. Like, Frank would be on a yeah. live television show with a bar cart uh, at the end of the stage, and he would be having martinis. He'd go through like 10 fucking <laughs> martinis while you watch this man perform. Like, by the end of it, he was absolutely wasted. There's no doubt about uh, it. Did, now, did that affect the performance, or was he still able to perform well wasted? There are some videos that... <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Deb, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that's a subjective thing. <laughs> that's subjective. It depends on what you're trying to watch, you know. But <laughs> there were definitely how many some martinis you have. <laughs> <laughs> People were just so enamored that it was yeah. Frank Sinatra. They didn't care yeah. whether he was doing well or not. I think that's one of the reasons why his career started to fall off. Honestly, is mm. he was just always so hammered, but people thought it was mm-hmm. so like cute and charming. That's but it's actually like he's he's going through a very hard like <laughs> addiction right now. Yeah. Uh, well, some of like that type of singing too is pretty easily done when you're yeah. it is kind of like a professional lounge drunk singing like yeah. he's not like rapping Hamilton yeah so. Frank Frank had some crazy <laughs> stuff happen in his childhood that I can't wait to get into I mean like dude he he started off when he was a kid as a singing waiter at his parents restaurant in Hoboken New Jersey and his mom the reason his name was Francis his mom wanted him to be a girl like, she wanted a daughter, and when he was born, she wanted him to be a girl so bad that she would dress him as a girl back in the, like, fucking 1930s and shit. And he would be it's like... Gonna, it's gonna be scarring. It's some weird shit yeah. going on, so I, we'll get into him, but... Interesting. But anyway, a lot to drink about, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, old young Dino in 1946, <laughs> Dino... Dino uh, well, well, how did uh, how did they become friends? Just they just performed in the same area, and they just yeah, you know, yeah. Okay. All these guys sort of, like Dev said, they all became so huge in their own right that yeah. they were just booked on the same shit. Okay. As a matter cool. of fact, that's kind of how this how Dean actually got started in 1946. He was performing at the 500 Club in New Jersey on the same bill with 19 year old Jerry Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, and one night. The owner of the 500 Club, a mobster named Skinny Diamato. <laughs> he, uh, skinny. No, Skinny. Uh, he One night, Skinny Diamato fired Jerry Lewis for some argument they had over like money or whatever when Jerry Lewis was 19. So Dean comes up on stage, and he's doing his act. He's doing like you know his Dean thing. And Jerry Lewis is apparently like, Wasted, he just got fired, but he's still in the club and he's yelling shit at Dean Martin while he's on stage. He's like, Yeah, you motherfucker, you know, you're no good. Oh, that's you think you're real funny, you know, type of shit. Uh-huh. And Dean Martin started giving it back, they start roasting each other. Like, he's on stage, he's like, Well, I still got a job, you know, like type. And the audience thinks it's like this An act, act that oh, they're doing and funny. that it's hilarious. And so, Skinny Diamato says, All right. You're not fired. You two are a duo now. Oh, my you know? God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd fucking loved this shit. By the end of the week, Martin and Lewis, their show, by the end of the week at the 500, the line was around the block. The duo was making $15,000 a week 
by the end of the year wow. to do the show in 1946. When you put that through the old inflation calculator, that's 215 grand a week. Holy shit. By the end of that year, by the end of 1946. That's crazy. And the average American at the time was making three grand a year. And wow. They were making 15 grand a week. Holy shit. They were bigger than Frank Sinatra. Like, they were at the time. Wow. Like, Martin and Lewis was this fucking <laughs> thing. So I guess, like, once he sobered up, he was like, "I don't hate you, actually. This is this is fine because we're both gonna make money together." Or yeah. was it a was it a more frictionless uh, relationship at the beginning? Jerry Lewis is one of those guys that I don't think there was a relationship he had without friction. He was oh, okay. he was not a nice man. Oh, he was, not a, and he was nineteen at the time already, mm. like probably a fucking ball busting type <laughs> of dude. And Dean seemed Dean was actually like a. Uh, from what I've heard, like a nicer guy, mm-hmm. but Jerry Lewis was not. <laughs> so I, see. I imagine it was uh, there was some, you know. So after tension. after the curtains closed, they did not go and hang out. Afterwards. Probably not. Oh, I would okay. imagine so. <laughs> I mean, who knows? But uh, maybe maybe there were some really good fight stories that never got released. You know, Interesting, some, like fist fighting. <laughs> Interesting. But then uh, we got old Sammy Davis Jr. Okay. So Sammy. This guy, he called Las Vegas his spiritual home throughout his career. He was basically like a real Vegas type of dude. Uh, he faced, of course, a shit ton of racism in Hollywood, and he faced the same kind of racism in Vegas, but he found like more of a footing in mm-hmm. Vegas. It also, I mean, the Sunset Strip, all these guys owned the mm-hmm. Sunset Strip, and, and Sammy Davis was also all over there, but... They were, at the time for him, unfortunately, there were just kind of a few places that he could go. Right. You know? And uh, he had risen to worldwide fame as a kid in the Will Maston Trio, which was him, his father, Sammy Davis Sr., and his uncle, Will Maston. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like three years old when mm-hmm. he joined this like trio with his dad and his uncle. They did comedy, music, impressions. They would play instruments. Like He played the drums. You know, they were just this really talented trio of dudes who took the fucking world by storm, basically. And uh, they were everywhere. He was like a Michael Jackson type, mm-hmm. you know, kind of think like that was him as a kid. Mm-hmm. And he just grew into this entertainer yeah. as he got older, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of crazy um, to think about. Like, his Yeah, voice. I mean, that's incredibly impressive at the time to, to get as, you know, as big as the rest of these guys with the, you know, limitations he has yeah. because of the, the era he lives in. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, and, you know. He did a killer James Cagney impression, by the way. Mm. Sammy Davis Jr. Go look up he that did. on YouTube, too. <laughs> Then there was Peter Lawford. Now, a lot of people are wondering, who the hell is Peter Lawford? And Peter Lawford was very interesting. Peter Lawford was an actor who made a semi-household name for himself. He was this British actor. Um, And then he really started to break through in Hollywood around, like, the 50s, you know, in America. And he was, like, he was starring in some stuff. But he married into the Kennedys in 19... I want to say it was, like, 58. He married uh, Patricia Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's sister. Okay. One of their fucking nine siblings right, that they had. Right, the right. Kennedy Empire. Yeah. You know? Sometimes Kennedy would even come and hang out with the Rat Pack in Vegas, and they would call it the Jack Pack <laughs> when he was around. <laughs> he was part of the Rat Pack, John That's F. Kennedy. really funny. Yeah, they were a big part of his campaign. Like I said, Frank sang High Hopes for John F. Kennedy's campaign. That was like his campaign song mm-hmm. was Frank's song. They, uh, we'll get into way deep into mm-hmm. all of this shit, but it goes it, it, JFK and the mob and all of this are all like 
they all just run together in this one. It's really crazy. Joey Bishop, he was a late night, he was like a TV comic. He was like a late night before late night, basically. Okay. He was this comedian. Okay. All five of these, the group, the Rat Pack, mm -hmm. uh, they were originally known as the Clan. But uh, they decided not to go in good, that direction. Good, good name change, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that didn't make it for PR. Great job on whoever the publicist was on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Klan. Good PR move. They were like, uh, just less, less white hoods, you know. <laughs> not that you one. Know, yeah, maybe yeah. it's probably not the best, guys. I mean, can we think of just anything other than the Klan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the formation of the Rat Pack was for a few reasons. These five guys came together, but one being that they all had advantages. The Rat Pack really started while they were filming Ocean's Eleven. That's kind of what this whole story is about today. Okay. They were filming Ocean's Eleven, and they were all doing shows in Vegas, but then they started this thing where they would go to each other's shows and appear together and became the Rat Pack. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. So this movie helped form them. Yes. Ah, this movie I see. helped form the Rat Pack and helped form Vegas all at once. And Whoa. helped form John F. Kennedy. Helped Whoa. form, like, the stronger mob ties with Vegas. Like, Interesting. Ocean's Eleven okay. goes so deep. It is fucking crazy. Okay, man. so sorry. So, like, when I was asking questions about, like, well, how they all meet? And yeah. uh, now it makes sense because I assumed that they were already a known group and then someone was like, what if we put all these guys in a movie together? That would seem like it would be a good That's idea. That's sort of what it was. They were the Rat Pack already, kind of hanging out, mm -hmm. doing their thing. But that, that was basically, they were the Rat Pack when they would be on Sunset Boulevard mm -hmm. drinking at Ciro's or some mm -hmm. shit. But, like, yeah, this was the first time, like, let's put them in a movie as the Rat Pack. And then they really started hanging out because yeah. they were doing this movie together. And then yeah. after that, they were, like, even more tied together. Exactly. I see. Put them okay. on stage, and shit just went... When they got on stage for the first time is mm -hmm. when... Like I said, it was like Beatles level mania. You wow. know, like, I mean, it, it was insane. They put out a lot of movies together, by the way. This was just like their first one. Uh, their most famous one is Ocean's Eleven, this first one. But they did one called Sergeants Three in 1962. And after that, Peter Lauford was ousted from the group. Why? <laughs> because in 1962. Kennedy was going to be making a big trip to L.A. Mm -hmm. and Palm Springs. He was mm -hmm. doing, like, the Democratic National Convention or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Peter Lawford asked Frankie, my brother-in-law needs a place to stay when he's going to be on the West Coast. Do you think your house in Palm Springs will do? Mm -hmm. You know? And Frank Sinatra's like, fuck yeah. You know, bring on <laughs> Mr. Kennedy. Let's have him. Let's have old Jack stay in the house. <laughs> so... Frank built an entire wing onto his house for John F. Kennedy to stay in. Wow. And he put a helipad on the wing of the house so he could just get wherever he needs to go quick. You know, wow. just stay here. We'll be out of your hair. Do what you need to do. Uh, <laughs> I'll warm up the hot tub for you. You know, but come on, so, Mr. President. <laughs> come on. Happy birthday, Mr. President. You know, <laughs> holy shit. But John's brother, Robert F. Kennedy told John, don't stay at Frank Sinatra's house. We're literally, like, investigating this man for being a part of the fucking mafia. And you're going to go just, like, rub elbows with him and stay in his house? You're insane. You know, you're the president. So last minute, John switched from, he's not going to stay at Frank's house anymore. He stayed at Bing Crosby's house instead. And this sent Frank into a rage. Rage like no other. He took a sledgehammer and destroyed that entire wing of the house that was built, destroyed the helipad, Holy told shit. Peter Lawford, don't you ever fucking talk to me again. What? Went ballistic. That's not Peter's dude. fault. <laughs> 
Frank was crazy. We're going to get into Ooh. Frank. He was nuts. Ooh. Frank was a crazy man. Oh, like, man. Love Frank Sinatra. Love old blue eyes. I'm glad I never met the guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, cool. I did not know this. <laughs> unstable. We love an unstable hero. He was unstable as fuck. Oh, my God. Uh, what? So, but what the rest? Might have been the booze. Might have been the booze. <laughs> Might have been the booze. <laughs> the rest of the guys think about him kicking out one of their friends from the group for something. Like, did they stay friends with him? Like, uh, they, every- it's one of those things where, like, they would hang out, but it's like, Hey, yo, Frank's coming to this one. You might want to yeah, not come, dude. That was kind of how it was. And mm. Sammy also was, like, on the outs with Frank a lot here and there. Really? Um, Dean was never, like, on the outs with him, but Dean oftentimes would just, like, I'm not going to be. Dean wouldn't, mm. he didn't want anything to do with the John F. Kennedy shit. Oh. Dean Martin said, John F. Kennedy is a, I think, I have it written down, but he's a cheap Irish huckster, <laughs> is what Dean would call John F. Kennedy. He said, like, the whole Kennedy clan, he didn't trust any of them, basically. Interesting, yeah. okay. The Kennedy clan, that word clan came yeah. back. Yeah, well, you know? so he so he didn't fuck with Peter either? No, he did. I mean, okay. Dean, like I said, I think Dean was just like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Dean seemed yeah. like the most affable guy out of yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was just like, I, I, Peter, you're cool, but when your wife and her family come around, I'm just going to go home. Exactly. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. I don't want to see any of your cheap Irish huckster in laws. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm going to give you the plot of this movie. Uh, I say I'm not going to get very deep into it, but I kind of do, so I'm not even going to say that this time. Uh, But (laughs) even just like the short description of this movie is fucking cool, man. It's short and sweet. Danny Ocean gathers a group of his World War II compatriots to pull off the ultimate Las Vegas heist. Together, the 11 friends plan to rob five Las Vegas casinos in one night for millions of dollars. Millions. Yeah, five casinos. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and the new one, uh, the new one, they're not army buddies. You know, they're right. just like known criminals. Right. The syndicate. They're criminal buddies. They're criminal buddies. <laughs> I mean, some army buddies are criminal buddies, you know. But uh, in the. Criminal buddies are army buddies. They go both ways. Technically, if, it doesn't specify. So yeah. they could have been army buddies, but they were just, you know, one dude from England, I guess. <laughs> he was in the uh, in the British SAS or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it works both ways. You could be like, hey, we have so many skills from the army. We could do crimes. Yeah. And then you could also be like, we have so many skills from the crimes. We could do army. Army. It's, <laughs> dude, it's the chicken or the egg, man. That's what they always say. Yeah. Because in the original, Danny Ocean, he was a sergeant in World War II. He led a bunch of 82nd Airborne Commandos. And after the war, the guys were just kind of like looking for some ways to get some money. uh, And, you know, also that old adrenaline rush that they got in the war or whatever. So they put together a heist crew, like you do, you know. (laughs) And like I said, I mean, the reason he's using these guys, they're not criminals. They're army guys. They're more than welcome in Vegas. So they can go under the radar. No one will suspect them. Yeah, no one will suspect a thing, see? (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) But they all have their own reason. Like, I love their reasons for doing the heist. At a few points, it comes up in the movie. Like, somebody will ask the other guy, like, why are you doing this? You know, like, what are you in this for? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Richard Conti, his character, just got out of, a, out of prison, and his kid's in military school, and he's got cancer, so <laughs> he wants to ensure his kid's future. <laughs> Stacking up stuff for that guy. <laughs> Dude, there's a there's a scene in the movie and where he, he's got cancer. <laughs> he's got cancer, man. He's at the doctor in the scene of the movie, and he goes to the doctor, "Give it to me straight, doc. Is it the big casino?" 
<laughs> it's the big casino, see? <laughs> Is that what the you call cancer? That's what you call cancer. Oh, the oh doctor's like, I hate to tell you this, kid, but in six months, you're going to be at the at the Sahara Casino in the sky. <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's one, oh, there's other guy, there's one guy who wants to be like a movie producer, he wants money to like fund his career, one guy wants to be a politician, um, one guy just wants his wife to stop being a showgirl in Vegas, she's like getting like <laughs> hounded by men every night, being this showgirl, and he's like, I'm sick of my wife showing her legs, showing her gams to every man in <laughs> Vegas, you know, <laughs> but Peter Lawford, he just wants to be independent. Peter Lawford's character is actually from a rich family in the movie. It's kind of mm. funny because, like, in real life, Peter Lawford was from a rich British family. <laughs> His mom was Lady Lawford. That was what they called her. And then he marries into the Kennedys. And so he plays basically himself. That's funny. You know, just like um, this rich kid. And so there's 11 of them again, I assume. Yeah, there's like, 11. Okay. There's, so there's Danny and 10. Of his, right. or no, it's Danny and 11 people. It's oh. hard to fucking keep count, dude. So there's, there's 12 of them? I swear to God, I miss some of the guys. I, I, be... I swear there's not 11 guys in this crew, but there okay. are. So, all right. Yeah, yeah. Again, highly just go yeah. watch this thing. It's mm-hmm. so fucking good. But, but the plan, the plan. The plan is to simultaneously rob five Las Vegas casinos. The Sahara, the Riviera, the Desert Inn, the Sands, and the Flamingo. You know, big hard-hitting casinos here. All the mob ones. All the mob ones. They basically just plan to rob the mob, you know. And, they were uh, like, all right, you can use... it's The mob produced this, let's be honest. And yeah. then they were like, look, we'll have them rob our casinos so everybody know that we did this to ourselves. <laughs> so we'll send a message. Not Dude, to fuck it, with it, us, because look, we got Frankie up in here. We're getting... We're, it, it gets like that, actually. Like, the filming of this movie, Frank Sinatra, Vegas, was basically like, do whatever you want. I, I don't know. Do whatever you want. <laughs> like, just don't kill us. Yeah, yeah. I also, I mean, this is good marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, like, it, I want to go to the casino that Frankie robbed. Yeah, and again, like, this movie and the Rat Pack, this is when Vegas began. Vegas would not be what it is today without this so happening. So, like, the movie was so popular, it just got people interested in Vegas. Yeah, like, people yeah. wouldn't normally go there and, and be like, oh, there, looks fun. Yeah, and then being there while they were filming it, too. Mm. People were coming See, from around the world. Wow. Guys, this is brilliant. This is why Vegas and Hollywood are such yin and yangs. Yeah. One was created to make movies, and one was created from a movie. <laughs> one is a movie. Yeah. Vegas a was movie. a fucking movie. Absolutely, dude. It's really funny to think about. Yeah, and so back in these days, in the 2001 version, they're hitting uh, three casinos for $150 million. Mm-hmm. And in the old one, they were hitting these five, and uh, they were going to get $12 million from the whole thing. Okay. And they were all they were gonna split it. They'd get a million a piece, paying mm, off the guys right. who planned Oceans. it. And shit. Yeah. So wait, but when you run that through the inflation calculator, when you run that through the inflation calculator, they actually stuck kind of close in 2001 to mm. what that would have been. Okay. The 150 million, like the 12 million in 1960, was roughly like 130 million. Okay. Which cool. is insane. That sounds yeah. like so. Sometimes I wonder about these inflations. To be honest, yeah, but it's, it's, it's I I don't know how inflation's calculated. To yeah. Be honest. It's kind of weird because it's like. I don't know, like, yeah, the 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 the, vol- the value amount changed, but also the price of things yeah. has fluctuated too. Like, it's which I realize is inflation, but like, I don't know, it's very strange. It doesn't add up one to one either. Know. You know what I mean? No. Like, yeah, um, and you know, uh, y- y- what you paid for an apartment back then, for example, 
was obviously it's a less dollar amount, but even yeah. if you adjust for inflation, it it's still stop. not as big of a cost as right. it is now. So like the val isn't the value actually like a lot no. more. It's it's weird. Well, I don't understand how inflation works. That well, inflation and real estate market dynamics are two different things. First right. of all, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but. But I hear what you're saying. It is all very confusing. Um, yeah. The inflation calculator, though, dude, I think, you know, back in this day, I, you know, shit was like gold. And, like, they right. didn't even really have checks. Yeah, know? I mean, like so I said, you know. It was kind of just cash. You mostly. buy a six-pack of beer for like, less than a dollar, you know. Yeah. So it, it was. So like, Vegas is chips, and that's kind of like cash, you know. I bet you people are using chips a lot as currency around town. Right, right. Yeah, and in the, in the 2001 version, it's three casinos. It's the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. That was what they were robbing in that one. Dev hit the nail on the head with the commandos thing. They all take different roles. And basically, the plan is they're going to, like, rewire the casinos in Vegas. They're, I will put it as simply as this. They are going to take down the power of the city, like take down the electricity for like 30 seconds or something. Mm -hmm. And they rerouted this auxiliary power to the cash doors. They were all like steel cages with actual cash back in those days mm -hmm. and chips. And it was going to be this whole thing. And I don't, I really don't mean to sound like a snob, but I really think the old one is cooler because of this. Like, it's commandos basically taking an entire city down yeah. to have rob all seen, the money. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Dirty Dozen? Yeah, no. the Dirty Dozen is yes, exactly. It's the, very it's similar to that. Yeah. Well, Drake, yeah. that's cool. another well, we should probably do an episode on that. Yeah, for but. sure. And I'm actually yeah. I, I was gonna say I've gotta think the military thing is so interesting. Like World War II commandos organizing a crime is just like we were saying, it's like it it's if you want to, if you want guys who would know how to do this, mm -hmm. these are the fucking guys. You know, they mm -hmm. all the crazy gadgets. I mean, it's just it makes it's it's the most amount of context. It makes yeah. the most amount of sense. It's yeah. like it's it's taking the plot that you want to do and thinking practically about like, well, why do these guys? Why are these guys so good at this shit? You right. Know what I mean, it's right. like, oh, okay, because they were fucking in World War Two. Yeah. Everyone was like super destabilizing a whole city is yeah. like what we did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what America and, does, baby. <laughs> And, like, obviously, like, they would be very specialized because yeah. they all came from, like, different, yeah. yeah you got the so strategic sense. experience, weapons training, adaptability, keeping a cool head when shit goes wrong. You know, you got that. I yeah. guess what I'm saying, if you want to be a criminal, you can get trained by the U.S. government. <laughs> you can get paid to train as a criminal, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you would I mean, like to rob a Vegas casino. that what, like, mercenaries are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. You know those Go Army commercials where they show, like, people doing American jobs and then it goes back to them doing that in the war, yeah. you know? They should just show like a dude like blowing a safe with C4 mm -hmm. and he goes back and he's like, I used to do this to dude's doors in Iraq, <laughs> you know? Like, I learned how yeah. to do this. Yeah, they're like, well, I had to take this shit job with the U.S. military to land this sweet Blackwater gig, but, uh, you know. <laughs> um, and it's not really that far from real life. The guys were pulling off heist in World War II. There were a lot of heists that happened in World War II during war. Dude, there was what? There, so when did they have time? These were guys who you would get into places in Europe, little, very little oversight. You'd be out there, you know, maybe just if you're like a high-ranking commander, you might be out there with your dudes under you, and nobody's over you. Mm -hmm. Nobody can see what you're doing, and you got a lot of uh, industrial military equipment here to 
you know, let's say dig up some shit, all <laughs> shit, you know. Uh, no one's no one's watching this bank door. <laughs> there was we're we evacuated the city. Do you guys want to hear about a World War II heist? Do you think we have time? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Is it is it Nazi gold? Yes, it is the <laughs> Nazi gold. You know exactly the story I'm talking about. There was a movie that came out in 1970 called Kelly's Heroes. And the screenwriter, Troy Kennedy Martin, based the movie on the real-life gold heist known in the Guinness Book of World Records as the greatest robbery on record that has never been solved. In the movie, it was just like a bunch of gold, like Nazi loot. In real life, it was the German National Gold Reserve. On February 3rd, 1945, a massive Allied air campaign over Berlin wrecked much of the city's important government fixtures. Among them was the Reichsbank where Nazi Germany stored its gold reserves. Some 950 bombers flattened the German capital, exposing the bank's vault. Now we can like, it's there. Its valuable contents were left intact, but would not survive another raid, basically. They knew like the next one's gonna fuck our shit up and it's our whole gold reserve. So the vault contained Germany's gold reserves, as well as those looted from Czechoslovakia, Austria, Hungary, Albania, Belgium, Italy, Holland, the Soviet Union, everybody's money is in this fucking vault. <laughs> this is, there was more than $21 billion Holy in shit. these days' money. Oh my God. In this is vault. Is that over a trillion dollars? Is that, how much fucking it, money is it's that? It's $21 billion these days. Oh, so okay. it was, right. it yeah. was, that's how much it would have been worth now. Okay. But it was that worth to them. Holy Which, shit. Is it really a lot for Germany considering, you know, it's like they just went through hyperinflation before the war. Yeah. The only, they didn't have any money themselves. The only money that they got was from stealing other people's bank money. Right. You know, they went and conquered them. <laughs> and, and this is, I mean, this obviously this is not paper money. Like, this is gold. It's like, gold. This is like, yeah. This, yeah. This is just that that sure. currency crosses borders. So yeah. Like yeah. They had all these different world currencies. So basically the allies are coming. The Nazis break it all down. They hide it all over the place. But one place they hid it was Lake Walchon. Walshin? I'm sure it's, you know, walk, walking or something. Uh, <laughs> under this big... Lake Christopher Walken. <laughs> they hid it under this big false tree stump, basically. And that was pretty much discovered immediately by the Allies. These U.S. armored engineers. Nine tons of gold. 728 bars worth $15,000 each back then. Uh, and when you put that through the old inflation calculator, that's about $230 for each gold bar. And there are nine tons of these things. Wow, holy shit. In, in this fucking mountain, you know. Mm -hmm. So things get weird. <laughs> we find this gold. We have two German officers who tell us exactly where this thing is. We go and dig it up. It's exactly like they said. They have documents mm -hmm. that explicitly say how much gold was buried while they were there yeah. helping to bury it. Yeah. And when we found it, there were 25 crates of it missing with 100 gold bars each in those crates. It was like 1.25 tons of gold disappeared into thin air. No one knows where it went. So, so wait, 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 but how do we know what they were telling the truth about how much gold was? The documents, the documents, oh, okay. they had exactly how much they put in. Oh, okay. And when we found it, it was missing 25. And okay. again, it all gets, no one knows. Yeah. When, we when we found it, it exactly, was missing. Exactly, okay. exactly, exactly. Because uh, obviously like if that gets shipped straight to the U.S. government, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like. They're like, hey, oh, we when we found it, there was some crates missing. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it gets even weirder. <laughs> oh, really? 
So the guy who probably stole it all, Sergeant mm-hmm. Albert Singleton. I don't mean to say it, but he, you know, yeah, would, he was the uh, <laughs> he was the Tenth Armored Division's Provost Marshal, and he was overseeing getting the gold out of the mountain and getting it to divisional headquarters in Munich. Mm-hmm. Um, so the guys just down there sending gold down the hill. They're like, they have like, like I said, you've got access to all this shit, you know. They're getting all this gold down the hill. It's this huge military operation, and he's taking pictures of himself in front of the gold. You know, Americans would take pictures of themselves in front of, like, uh, the spoils of war. You know, look mm-hmm. at what we got. Fuck you, Hitler. You know? Mm-hmm. So he's taking pictures of this shit. He's writing his wife about, like, holy shit, babe, we just found all this gold. <laughs> <laughs> but he also he has a picture and a letter that he sends to his wife where he describes the gold. He has pictures of it. It has, like, very... You know, like Nazi markings and shit. Mm-hmm. It's like very clearly Usually, marked. Yeah, mm-hmm. those yeah. things are like um, branded. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. It's when they're melt. It's when they're smelted yeah. and they're put into their mold. Yeah. Right. So about a week later, the gold gets to Munich. He gets a letter from Munich saying, "Hey, thanks, bud. Thanks for all that gold." Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the debriefing letter, they're basically like, "You're debriefed. You're good. Mm-hmm. Operation over. Thanks for the gold." The description of the gold in the debriefing letter was completely different than what he sent. So they like described this gold that they got, missing the 25 that he mm-hmm. said, we don't know where that went either. Mm-hmm. Completely different than what he sent. So, <laughs> again, I don't know. Wait, 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 wait. So it didn't have those markings on it? It didn't got- have the markings on it. It was different. He even said the even their debriefing report uh, the location where they found it. He said they were like 25 kilometers off of where they found it. The description of where he found it in that mountain had been completely changed. Like, everything had been changed. Weird. I know. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. Again, it's never been solved. It's the Guinness Book of World Records is like the biggest... You know how much that gold is worth today? (laughs) How much? $160 $160 million. Oh, my God, man. Dude, yeah. So if you can find that Nazi gold out there, you can you can do your own uh, Ocean's Eleven. You, know, you could probably... But it's also 2,500 kilos worth of gold, so it's a little <laughs> fucking difficult to move around. Yeah, that's true. Gold's heavy. It's not yeah. like you can just... Stuff gold in your bars pockets. are heavy as fuck. Hell yeah. 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 It's, it's like a weight. A ton. A, like a ton and a quarter went just missing. Wow. They don't even know where the fuck it went. Put it this way. They couldn't put more than a hundred in a crate. Right. Know? Right. Yeah. And even right. then, they probably had to like wheel that shit. They yeah. It was very difficult to carry. Yeah. These two people. Yeah. You don't misplace that much gold. <laughs> right. So interesting. Yeah. I wonder if... <laughs> the way I wonder if the way they did it, like it was easier to transfer, easier to steal the gold if it was melted down. Yeah. And so that's why the bars look different because yeah. they weren't able to rebrand it the same way. Maybe. And they're like, it's going to be harder to notice stuff is missing this way um, because yeah. it's like, yeah, I wonder. It probably they probably had to melt it down somehow in order to steal it, and that's uh, why the bars look different. Yeah, the or, Germans for sure when they stole something from like another country wouldn't melt that shit down. Yeah, like the gold and re- room and remake it into like Deutschmarks and stuff yeah. like that. Russia's mm-hmm. gold room. Although Hitler didn't <laughs> melt that down, he had it reconstructed at his fucking lair Whoa. that he could like walk around in it and shit. But then we stole that. Uh, that. Did 
disappeared off of a train. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That was on a U.S. and Allied train going somewhere. I mean, the end of World War II, they had a law that, like, the spoils of war. Like, if you oh, yeah. found it, it was yours. Send it home. You know, yeah. fucking. That's oh, why cool. yeah. we also stole the Ark of the Covenant and the, you know, Boom. head of NASA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did steal the head of NASA. A Nazi created NASA. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's actually very oh, yeah, true. Project Paperclip, all those. <laughs> All those As I wear a SpaceX shirt, ironically. Sorry, guys. The Nazi scientist lab, it was like, it's like that Home Alone story where someone just came through and been like, keep doing what you're doing. You just work for a different, we're just yes. changing the name on the We're checks. changing the flag on your building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But keep, keep doing, doing whatever you're doing. doing. <laughs> whatever you're doing, we love it. A room full of scientists are like, oh. We're about to get murdered. And it's like, no, no, no. Just, no, no, just keep, do whatever you Keep doing. doing your science shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just do it for old Uncle Sam now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And if anyone asks, no one got hurt. <laughs> you do it for a man with a better mustache now, son. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the end of part one here today. Okay. I wanted to tell you the plot. I wanted okay. to tell you who the Rat Pack was. In part two, I'm going to tell you the story of how this thing was made. Uh, holy shit, what a fucking tale. I'm going to weave a tale for you on how this thing was made that would like... A Vegas vacation by the Rat Pack that rivaled Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It was like it was like if Hunter S. Thompson went to Vegas and instead of being funded by Rolling Stone, it was funded by Murder Inc. You know, like these guys got anyway. So if okay, I'm asked a couple questions. Move uh, over, Bradley Cooper. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got the real hangover here. So you had mentioned at the top like the. Four to six guys that were like the main dudes of the Rat Pack of the like the Frank Sinatra era Rat Pack, uh-huh. but as we established, there was like you know eleven, twelve main characters in this. Uh, did or were the other guys part of it in some way? Is there a reason that we don't talk about those guys? Like, why did these six like really group up after this? Where the other guys like didn't really have well, anything? Well, it was them? five of them, um, and no, so it was basically the Rat Pack and a lot of cool actors. Okay, um, no, like the the other actors in the film, a lot of them had nothing to do with the Rat Pack. Okay, they were just good, you know, studio actors. Yeah, like Cesar Romero was in this mm, okay. uh, six years before he did Joker in Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. He's cool. Crushed this role, dude. <laughs> cool. So, okay. So it was like, um, uh, it, it, because like you said that they were like already kind of established before this, and then this solidified them. Yeah. It's like, okay. They were but, a drinking yeah. group, and this mm. turned them into like a, a superstar. Sensation. Okay. Yeah. I see. You said that uh, Frank was kind of on the outs of different guys at different points. Did Joey Bishop stick around the whole time? Was he ever on the outs at all? Is there a reason we don't talk about him as much? Yeah, Joey Bishop was never on the outs, but he also was never on the in. Uh, <laughs> Joey Bishop was like, they honestly would even kind of joke around about how like Joey is. Joey, I, I will get into it in the second part, but I'll tell you here too. Like Joey was like the MC bartender on stage. Mm. Like he was kind of like he wasn't. The big. He was like a sidekick. To he the was group. like a sidekick I to see. the Rat Pack. I see. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll just have Joey up here in case we all get too drunk. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Joey was up there literally to like make sure people didn't get too drunk. Wow. And he was like the MC. You know. Fred okay. Falls off Did he also? Yeah. <laughs> Did he also sing and dance and all like that, or he, he was more just like a. Um, a, a, a good sidekick. He was more of a good sidekick. He would mostly do jokes. Yeah, okay. he, he was mostly a booze wrangler. Yeah, he was a booze wrangler. He was a <laughs> comedian. 
he was he was the least drunk guy on stage. And know? then um the British guy, Peter Peter Lofter. Yeah. Um you said he was an actor first and then he did a little dancing set and then he, you know, sang but not very well, and that's kind of how he got in. Like right. but all these guys were performing in Vegas? Yeah, they would all perform in Vegas while doing Oceans Eleven. Okay. And that's where it started. Okay, so did they perform in Vegas before Ocean's Eleven? Uh, Frank, Dean, and Sammy performed, like, separately. Okay, like, like on occasion. I'm not saying that it never happened where they'd pop in on each other's shows. They would all hang out, again, on the Sunset Strip as well. The Sunset Strip was a big rat pack place as well. But in 1960, when they came together to do Ocean's Eleven... They also used it as, like, we're all in town. I see. Yeah. It's, okay. it's a really fun story. And so uh, how did uh, how did Joey get in the mix then, if he was just the sidekick man? Like, how he was, did he... He was just a he was a comic around town, okay. you know. He was a comic around. He was getting really big. I mean, he was like hanging out with like a Checky Green was okay, a big comic I back see. then. Cool. Um, he was a big stand up. I see. And so like okay. he probably was doing some Vegas rooms as well. Okay. Um, they all found themselves in Vegas one way or the other. Right. Like, okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Was Frank Sinatra significantly older than the rest of these guys since he was kind of on his second like his his, his uh, revival tour essentially? No, they were all around the same age. Frank and Dean especially. Um, but all of them, not all of them were washed up by any means, mm-hmm. but all of them were in no. like the later stages of mm-hmm. their career. It was the, the, the this second was probably like career, the beginning of the decline kind for Frank. Yeah. Like just five, five years earlier, Frank did uh, Guys and Dolls with right. Marlon Brando. Right, right. And that was huge, and that was a musical kind of thing, and that was, you know. Yeah, he had it been... It wasn't like them touring, but, you know, it was a giant film, you know, so... Yeah, like he... They were still in pop culture. Right. He had been, like, he was washed up in the early 50s until 53 when he got that Oscar. Mm-hmm. And then, like Dev said, he did, yeah, like, Guys and Dolls and stuff. But then uh, that was when he started getting his Vegas big mm-hmm. shows. You okay. Know? That was what... By 1960... Mm-hmm. When Ocean's Eleven started to get made, Frank was the fucking king again. He was like back to the numbers that he used to put up okay. in the forties. Okay, you know, cool. he had he had rebuilt himself with the help of uh, the mob. He's the mob, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Giancana. Okay, right. cool. Yeah. All right, and I think all the other questions I have are stuff that will be definitely answered in part two. So I, cool. but I th- thank you that as someone who has only heard of these guys by name and didn't even know the other two at all or the other sure. what, however many, um, it, this really helped me figure out who this group was, piece together how they know each other, why they know each other, like all that stuff. And right. so now going into part two of a greater appreciation for whatever adventures they get into. Cause yeah. I, I, now I, I understand where everyone's okay, coming from. Good. That was what I was hoping. Yeah. I was hoping to set this up for yeah. you just to let you know who these guys are. Yeah. yeah. Okay, know? cool. Cause yeah. this, uh, so you said this is shot in 1960. Yeah. It was okay. shot and released. So, uh, th- the candy debacle is not driven a wedge between Frank and, uh, Peter yet. Has it? Not yet. Okay. No, that was 62. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Guess uh, guess what studio good old Blue Eyes was buddy buddy with and put him on one. It was old Warner Brothers, throughout right? His, throughout his, is that who did this? Yeah, that's who did this one. Was WB? Well, I think he pops back in his later, but I think oh. what started him off was in '45 oh. was MGM. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that so wait, are, is MGM Casinos the same as MGM the yeah, film company? Same people. Okay. Same people. Yep. Yep. Are are now it's so a big does, conglomerate? Yeah. Does that mean <laughs> that Disney owns the MGM and 
Vegas? Probably. Or are those separate companies now? Um, Disney owns a lot of shit in Vegas. It's it really, really interesting. Interesting, yeah. like casinos and stuff? Yeah. Or like uh, the family shit that's no, nothing no, no, to do no. with... Oh. Like gambling. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They don't talk about that. Nope. They don't. They don't. <laughs> 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 and uh, what is that red dot on my head? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're dead, kid. But that's the end of part one. I'm going to leave you on that. And uh, come back for part two, everyone. You're going to enjoy it. Um, this shit gets absolutely unhinged and crazy. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a big, fun tale. I'm very excited. Now I'm even more excited now that we've had this set up because like, uh, when you first told me you were doing Ocean's Eleven, I... Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't yeah. know how interesting this was about to be. So. Yeah, me neither. When I de- <laughs> when I when I said I'm going to do Ocean's Eleven, it was because it was New Year's. Oh, okay. and then it was like, oh my god, like, I, dude, I couldn't stop. I wrote wow. this. I, I probably spent 20 hours on this episode writing this. Amazing. Thing. Yeah, Amazing. I couldn't stop, man. Um, I also want to just give a uh, a programming note. Um, so this episode was going up on its regular Wednesday Wednesday time, same bad place, same bad time, and part two will be going up uh, the following week. It'll be a, a, a traditional part one and part two, or like we did for Cagney and uh, Steve McQueen. Uh, but then after that, we are going to try out a new formatting style where um, the episode will be split into two parts. Uh, it'll be the same length as a normal episode. Our episodes average an hour and a half to two and a half hours. It's gonna the entire content will be will stay the same. but we're just gonna split that into two digestible chunks. So mm. something that would normally have just been a one parter that would you know be anywhere well, be around two hours long. We're just gonna split into two one hour parts and those are gonna come out on. Tuesday and Thursday. Right. And we're going to run with that for a little bit and try it out and see. Um, please send us your feedback, though. Let us know if you prefer how we do it now, if you like that change, if that makes it more digestible for you, a little bit more easier to get into. Uh, let us know if this, if you care at all, if you don't give a shit, you know, that's, you don't have to tell us anything, but um, <laughs> we're going to try it out and just kind of see how it goes. Uh, because uh, we did realize that some of these episodes are like longer than most movies. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, they're longer than the movies we're covering. Yeah. So. Let us know. Give us some damn commentary out there. I know you're listening. But I better, see you listening. But be- better than the movies. Better than the movies. <laughs> you can uh, you can comment on our Instagram. You can tweet at us on Twitter. Uh, they can find that this episode has been brought to everyone by Omnicron. <laughs> oh yeah, Dev's got the runner right yeah, now. Yeah, man. How do we Don't worry, we're not in the same and room. Me, and, and yeah, and me just you know, you know luckily grazing through. Yeah, and and uh, we'll see you come part two. I'd, or maybe seeing it a different time. <laughs> Dev, uh, Dev is uh, been in quarantine since this podcast started. As far as film history goes, Dev has always recorded this episode from a different state than us. So yes. we are we are not. Uh, it is not affected the recording. James and I are not oh, at risk of transmission. Some Rona's coming out of my laptop. <laughs> But uh, we wish you a speedy recovery. Yeah, it is a virus. <laughs> right, a computer virus. We do wish you a speedy recovery, Dev. Like but it seems matrix. like you're you're already on the, on a, on a road to recovery. Yeah, I, I sound great. Completely forgot you were yeah. sick. I got lucky. I got only like twelve hours worth of sickness, and then now just you know right. some like yeah. gotcha. But um, gotcha. but uh, and they can also find you on uh, Instagram at Sailor Dev, I suppose. <laughs> 
Yeah, I should actually plug stuff. Uh, see, that is the wrong. Uh, Twitter, Abracadabra Dev, and Instagram, Sailor underscore. Yeah, the, 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 Omnicron doesn't need more press. It's, it's just fine. We don't got to plug it. Um, I just want to say Omnibot every time. Omnibot. From, it's always sunny. That's all I want to say every time I hear it. You can, uh, you can find me at Drake Cummings on Instagram, at Drake underscore Cummings on Twitter, at TikTok, at Hollywood Drake. Um, uh, my uh, merchandise uh, line inspired by the 20s at Raging20sMerch.com and uh, you, on YouTube as well I started posting some stuff there so you can find me on YouTube just at Drake Cummings um, if you type Drake Cummings into most things I'll show up somewhere yeah so. yeah and you can find us at Film History the History of Film all over the place FHHF Pod on Twitter you can find me at James Wyatt Scott uh, or Jimmy Deloy, depending on where you're looking. And uh, you can also find me shipping 25 tons of gold to the U.S. military, but uh, five tons of it went missing. All right? I don't know where it went. I don't, who knows? See? And that's been Phil History. The History of Film. Part one. You know what I'm talking about?